Hello and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Hello, thank you for taking a seat at the table. Today is our storytellers episode in our All About Autism series. So for this series, we decided that we will tell stories about our children in autism. At the table tonight, I have Jennifer Dunn. Hello. Rachel Flanagan. Hey, everyone. Kimberly McIsaac. Hi. Tabitha Cabrera. Hello. And I am Jamie Ramos. So sit back and enjoy these stories. Our First Night Together by Jennifer Dunn. In the first few hours together, as I recovered from my C-section, our hospital room was full of people, friends, family, and coworkers. I remember all the balloons, but it was hazy. And then it was just you and me, kid. Just us. It's always been just us. A team. A duo. I felt it, kid. The moment you were placed in my arms, I felt something deep in my soul. Maybe I even knew before then. It was like a sudden bolt of doubt shot through my veins. I was simply questioning my ability to care for you, this precious little tiny human. It was my worry I would not be enough. Or maybe it was just new mom jitters. Now that constant worry is that I'm not enough. But I was so sick that day. I was nauseous from the morphine, and I remember a nurse giving me a shot in my hip to stop me from being sick. I kept hearing, we do not want you to tear your stitches. But the physical pain was the farthest thing from my mind. You were here, my daughter, my beautiful Kaya Alexandra. I waited a lifetime for you. Finally, it was just us, kid, alone in the room. And to be honest, I was suddenly terrified. Your entire life flashed before me. Where would you go to school? How was I going to balance my full-time job? Who would watch you? All the doubts rushed through my mind. It was overwhelming and a sudden reality. But in those moments of the what-ifs, they were also the most incredible and beautiful moments of my life. I studied you. Your face, your fingers, your toes, and every strand of your hair. I watched every facial movement and every twitch you made. I was overcome with emotion. I loved you from the moment I found out about you, and I have loved you ever since. And our bond, kid, is something most could never even imagine. Then this thing called autism entered our lives. But the truth is it's always been a part of you. It has woven into you, every grain of you. And although I did not know it then, I knew we would have an interesting life. And holy Hannah, kid, has it not disappointed. This path we are on is anything but boring. It is hard, but absolutely the most rewarding life experience, and I am so thankful for you every day. That day, I thought I would be the one to teach you about the world. But it is you, Kaya, that has taught me. On we go. The Words Flew Out of My Mouth for the First Time by Tabitha Cabrera As a child, I could always count on a special day for my birthday, growing up in a house full of children. Days when the focus was only on you were limited. On our birthday, we got a special cake, got to pick what dinner we wanted, and then ice cream made out of an old hand-churned ice cream maker. This was something I wanted to make sure to pass on to my children. Every year, I take the kids' birthday off work, and we plan a special outing. In December, 
2019, it was our daughter Nora's first birthday. Winter in Arizona is filled with 70 degree weather, so a trip to the zoo was a perfect way to celebrate her day. I braved taking both children out by myself, hoping that since it was a weekday, we wouldn't be met with big crowds of children. Managing a one-year-old and an almost three-and-a-half-year-old takes extreme planning. Our son, Nixon, had just received an at-risk for autism diagnosis, and we were still learning how to navigate a successful trip into a crowded public place. He was also still adjusting to the little sister that we brought home the year before. As we walked into the zoo, I was hopeful we would have a beautiful day looking at animals and walking around. The zoo was fairly empty because we got there minutes after it opened. Off to the right of the entrance was a big tree house that kids can climb in. Over time, I have learned that if we let Nixon guide our way, he is usually more receptive to prompts to move on to the next activity. I let him run around the tree house for about 20 minutes, and then we made our way down the path to look at animals. I immediately realized that there was a carousel down the path. Nixon caught it in his sight, and I knew we were going to take a ride. Nora was enjoying being out, looking at the carousel and taking in the sights. She was a very easy baby, which made outings possible. The three of us walked up to the counter, me blocking Nixon's way through the gate as I struggled to get Nora out of the stroller and hand my credit card to the cashier. A young girl, maybe 20 years old, looked at my card, and I said, can we please pay for two rides? I knew the three-minute ride wasn't going to be enough for any of us, and that I would most likely have to carry Nixon off the ride once it was over. The girl explained, if another family comes to ride, you'll need to take both kids off in between rides so they can pick their animal. I said, okay, knowing there was no way I was doing that. I slowly placed Nixon on a leopard he'd pick out and buckled both kids in. We had our first ride. As it began to slow, I saw a family of four walk up to the counter to pay for a ride. The young girl came up to me and requested, we're going to have to ask you to get off so the people waiting can pick their animal. I calmly said, there are so many other leopards to pick from and we can't get off. What she didn't know was what I could see coming having to carry Nora off the ride and buckle her into a stroller while watching Nixon from afar. The choices were to either have him stay buckled into the leopard or unbuckle him and let him run around the carousel, not wanting to get off. This young girl, my guess without children, did not understand the amount of strength it was going to take to move on to our next stop on our zoo adventure. Neither of my children verbal, both big for their age, and Nixon, who would not understand that we had to make a quick walk from one door to the next and he could ride again. The young girl, now with a youthful angst, said, I'm going to have to ask you to get off for a minute so the other family can get on. In that moment, a surprise to me and to her, I said, My son has autism, and I am not going to carry him and my one-year-old daughter off this carousel so one family can pick their animals. The young girl's face immediately softened a look I would become familiar with as time went on, a misunderstood, sympathetic, split-second glance, which usually is followed by immediate comment to lighten or soften the situation. This young girl said, okay, and walked away. It took me a minute to register what I had said. I didn't even know if this was the proper way to describe this beautiful part of Nixon. I wasn't even sure at that moment if he would get a full autism diagnosis, or maybe a part of me was hoping he wouldn't. At the end of the second ride, I unbuckled Nora and Nixon. Nixon began to run around the carousel as I quickly tried to buckle his sister into her stroller. 
The carousel was fenced in, which was a gift to me because he could only exit from one swinging door. I then quickly picked up Nixon as he attempted to break free from my arms. As we walked past the young girl, she said, the zoo has some sensory bags at the front that they provide for free. A sweet gesture of a young girl wanting to make our trip a little easier. In that moment, I didn't want to have to explain why it would be such a challenge for me to navigate something so small as an exit off a carousel. We ended up spending the day near the treehouse at the zoo entrance. We did not look at any animals and both kids enjoyed themselves. As we drove home from the zoo, I had a glance into the future. It would be up to me to help others understand Nixon. Our adventures out might look different than what I had planned them to be. And the look I saw flash over that young girl's face wouldn't define the words that flew out of my mouth on that day. As the years have gone on, I have learned different ways to describe my son being autistic. And I can now say the word autism with more confidence and understanding of what that actually means. The Fix by Six by Jamie Ramos. This is a piece I wrote when my now seven-year-old autistic son was turning six. Last night, per usual, Jesse had a hard time falling asleep. Calming his body into rest is not an easy task for him. Usually I try to deny his sweet request for a million hugs and try to remind him it's not the time to run, spin, sing, giggle, or play. But on this cold January night, I gave in. I held him tight and rubbed his back. I talked to him. As I stroked his hair and kissed his forehead, I couldn't help but think about how in three weeks' time, he would be turning six. Six. It makes me a little sick to my stomach to say it. For me, six represents a lot. Before we knew Jesse was autistic, we knew at the least he had a delay. We were told by many that we had to get him early intervention before five or six to help him. We were told that the brain develops 90% by age six. I felt so much pressure to get it all in by six. I felt if I didn't throw every kind of therapy and resource at my child, I was failing him. That once he turned six, that would be it. Our fate would be set in stone. I won't lie. In the beginning, I believed I had to fix my son by age six. And if I didn't, there was no hope. The problem is getting your child those resources is not easy. We had so much back and forth on whether or not it was autism, a developmental delay, or just a speech delay. No one seemed sure, so I couldn't be sure. I began to hope. I hope it would just all go away. That hope became denial. I let other people feed into my denial. They would tell us how one magical day it just all clicked for their child. I held on to the hope that that would happen for Jesse. We worked with him all the time. We put him into developmental preschool at three, and by four, we were sure he was autistic. It took almost until five to get a medical diagnosis. This whole time I felt sick. That deadline from the beginning was approaching and I thought we hadn't done enough. I somehow missed out on that mother's intuition I should have had in the beginning. Was early preschool with their speech and occupational therapy enough? Should I have thrown hours upon hours of therapy at him every week like someone told me I should? Did I fail him? At almost five and a half, Jesse started more therapy and because of COVID, we opted for more of it instead of school. It's been good. He works so hard at it, but he's nowhere near a typical child nearing six years old. The ticking of that countdown is coming to an end and we never caught up. Although lying in bed tonight with my son, as tears rolled down my cheeks, I said to him, you know what, bud, you're perfect. I asked, are you happy or are you sad? 
He replied, I'm not sad. I'm happy. And that was all I needed. I put this damn number six on a pedestal and now we're almost there. And I say, oh, well, in a few weeks, I'll have to walk into a doctor's office with my son and circle a bunch of sometimes and nevers on a damn milestone form over and over. And it will sting, but oh, well. This fall, I'll have to walk my tall, almost seven-year-old into kindergarten and watch as his smaller and younger peers sit and talk and work while he struggles. And it will hurt, but oh well. Oh well, because my son is autistic and that is who he is. I was never going to make that go away. I can't fix autism. I can only embrace it and help my son navigate the world. My son will never have a typical life. And part of me is really scared by that. We work harder than most and we'll probably never catch up, but oh well. I can do my best to make sure that my guy is happy. Our life isn't typical, but is full of joy and happiness. Looking back, I'm glad my son was not in therapy all day, every day. I'm glad he got to be a toddler. I'm so grateful we had the resources like early developmental preschool and for the amazing therapists and teachers who have helped him. I'm so happy he's learning so much in therapy now. I honestly believe we did our best and what was right for him. I'm so grateful he got to be a little boy. Life has not always been easy for Jesse, and it probably will never be. He's had to learn way more about how he ticks than most children his age. We've worked with him his whole life, and he's worked so hard. And today, he is happy and progressing. So yes, my kid is turning six in three weeks, but that's not the end. He'll be six, he'll be autistic, he'll be different. He'll be happy, and I'm so happy that he is who he is. An Open Letter to My Daughter by Kimberly McIsaac An open letter to my daughter, my baby, my sweet daughter. Things certainly took a twist, didn't they? Autism. I was floored by the word, angered by it, afraid of it, unsure of it. It didn't seem right. My beautiful, bright girl, full of wonder, full of light, certainly filled with fire. I felt like I was losing you. All of the other kids were passing you by. It felt like the world was moving so fast around us, but we were in limbo. The tears fell fast and hard, but never because of you, always for you. For your frustration, for what you were losing out on, for how hard and unpredictable things were for you. I wanted to fix it, fight it. I wanted it to not be. They painted a grim picture. I didn't believe it, I wouldn't. They didn't know you, your spirit, how stubborn you are. In time, I learned a different path. I learned that your autism is a part of you, not all of you, but like the colors of the rainbow, it's hard to know where it begins and ends. I also learned not only to accept it, but to respect it. It is a part of you, and I love every single part of you. I love you to the moon and back. You can say that now. The girl with no words. You make me laugh every day. I love you more than life itself. You give the best hugs. You made me wait 20 years for them and I cherish every single one. You are happy and perfect just the way you are. It is not my job to fight the autism to change you. It is my job to help you find your voice and show the world how amazing you are. I see that now. I will protect you and fight for you until the day I die. Until then, you're my sidekick. And as much as I like to think that I am showing you the way, you have shown me the way. You have taken me on the less traveled path, and it's been beautiful. Lots of twists and turns, some uphill battles along the way, but the views have been breathtaking. The unknown is at times scary, but together we will come out stronger than I could have ever imagined. I am so grateful and blessed to have you as my daughter. 
You are and always have been enough. Love, Mama. Celie's Constellation by Rachel Flanagan. There is so much about our family that leaves my husband and I wondering. We have the typical, where the heck did that come from? But so many more layers are at play for us. We imagine that for typical families, a mom might laugh and think, oh, that is just like my sister does. Or the dad might know that he has influenced his daughter's propensity for the detail-oriented games that he loved growing up. For us, it's different. My daughter Celie was adopted by way of private, semi-open adoption. So when she giggles a certain way or squishes her nose when she grins, we have a connection to her pattern, but not necessarily where it could be rooted. This case isn't always true, though, as nature plays a role in her development, too. For us, in many ways, we see ourselves in Celie's behavior. She has been observing and absorbing our every move since her first day. When Celie was diagnosed with autism and ADHD, we quickly learned that as a girl, she represented only a fourth of the autism community. She became a minority among a minority, and we felt so alone. This time, in retrospect, was when we boldly embraced her strengths and struggles as a lifestyle. We could tell that she was different than most of the autism that we were seeing portrayed or could find to validate what we were seeing. We just talked up every strength to things that came easier, every struggle requiring a new way to support her. The daily life of moving variables around to keep her calm and capable had begun years prior, so we just dug our heels in and offered her as much as we could, as often as we could find it. I can recall searching Pinterest after her diagnosis. I found a graphic telling the signs of autism as it relates to females. Already, I could relate to understanding many of the traits were part of her experience, while others seemed so far from her obvious wired path and perspective. I spent those early years learning words like elopement, scripting, masking, and terms for safety and independence. When she was three, I was sure that she would be able to drive my car if she had the chance because she had studied my steps in such detail. She would even make the blinker sound as she felt me slow down prior to me even hitting the brake. Today, I recognize that she still watches me, as she always has to see my reaction, my response, my resilience, and my ability to restore a plan and keep trying. I can feel her eyes on me as I navigate play and fun. I can hear her words modeled after mine as though I'm still writing the script. I can feel her gentle heart and hear her encouragement as though she is doing exactly as I would. I know, of course, that in our case, I have, she is, and we will continue this method until it doesn't serve her. By way of Celie's autism and a trait common in girls on the spectrum, she has the ability to observe in great detail catalog experiences with an incredible ability to later apply the language and actions in other moments as a way to respond in real time. So the words of those around her, including our example, lots of modeling, these become her way to first express herself in new situations. It's so cool, right? She's the first to help a friend when they need to take a deep breath. She has always been willing and excited to talk about the tools that she has learned and has developed to help her. Here's an example of her nurturing nature and her teammate attitude. It's said that girls rely heavily on other children to guide and speak for them. While this is true for Celie, she has also learned how to script. You can always tie Celie's interests, scripts, and passions back to her access to the screen of the time, the therapy of the season, or the toys of her phase. Here's what I mean. When she was a little nugget, I loved giving her PBS kids any darn thing. I can remember needing an extended moment to use the bathroom because by some 
sick twist of fate, our bodies produce a hormone-like substance called prostaglandins, which cause cramps and issues with all the poop as you have your period. Ugh, Jesus, help me. Why? Anyways, I was in one of those moments when I put C in her crib and propped up an iPad just out of reach. I started PBS Kids and ran to the restroom, praying both that I would make it and that I would have enough time without her being in too much distress because I was gone. I was more than halfway through a rather efficient use of the bathroom when I realized she wasn't screaming. In fact, by the time that I had run through 13,000 what-ifs while I hurried my process, I heard babbling. Next came the Amazon tablet. I could tell at that point that she was really taking in what she was being shown. She would study parts over and over. When satisfied, she would move forward to study the next bit. This, I understand now, is her stimming. I used to find it so fascinating that she could control everything to do just what she wanted, even as such a little bug. I later learned that upon studying her videos, she would act out what she had learned. I quickly started downloading the available videos, highlighting toys that we had, and all of the PBS videos I could, all but the super annoying ones. We used a lot of Daniel Tiger videos at the time because though she didn't respond to a song verbally, she knew just what to do. You can imagine me singing about rest is best and the still favorite, when you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. With that amazing talent and her propensity to absorb energy behind action comes the pressure to show her the correct way to manage challenging stuff, fun stuff, and everything in between. Her wild spirit, insatiable thirst for more information, her deep curiosity, all of the passionate and often restricted interests, her sleepless go-all-day-and-go-all-night schedule might all be rooted in autism, but there is so much more to her than that. Sensory overload has always caused her a great deal of anxiety, and as the dial cranks up, the closer we get to a meltdown. Often, friends push these limits because she isn't able to control, explain, or adapt to her needs or even theirs. So the table turns as she spends another brief moment as a kitty or a character before emerging again as a Seelie, ready for bestie number two or six for the day, eventually returning home to the OG bestie, a role I'm always proud to hold. At some point in the process, she learned to hold things together longer. I think it's the pressure of society, her observation, and her desire to do as she sees done. But while this is a helpful tool for her, we have learned that the struggle does not stop building, even though she may look like she's having a good or easy time from the outside. Just below the surface, her battle builds. When she is either able to let the pressure out or can no longer hold it back, an epic meltdown begins. When C was younger, she wasn't able to recover. From my view, the energy it took to keep it in, let it build, and then the energy used during the meltdown left her exhausted, sometimes for days. Over time, with more practice than I wish she had to endure, we are learning to avoid triggers, integrate tools, and implement processes to help. Her constellation of traits, characteristics, and dynamic features are that of hers alone. I'm telling you, she is unlike any other girl you or I will otherwise know because she embraces her different, boldly defies predictions, and yet predictably moves through the process and paths many others don't see. She charms and sparkles as she implores people to understand her way through a moment together. My daughter Celie is more than her mental health, but she is guided by their influence. She is more than her autism and her strengths and the struggles that have accompanied her diagnosis. Celie Flanagan is more than the alcohol exposure that damaged her brain and continues to delay her process. 
You see, she is the strength that rises through to accomplish like no kid I've ever seen. With a zeal all her own, topping off her powerhouse and passionate personality. I imagine her proudly continuing her work as a representation of her disabilities, using her abilities to give a voice to her peers. I guess it's my job really to make sure that she stays shiny, knows her view and value are both of the utmost importance, and that her work each day is respected. Thank you so much for sitting in and listening to these pieces. I love how they're all from the heart. Next up, we have our No Reservations episode where we're going to talk about the autism community and how divided it can be. So tune in for that. See you there. Bye. 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 Thank you. Thank you for joining us at the table for the Storytellers episode of our 10th series, All About Autism. If you are enjoying the podcast, please make sure to subscribe and rate and review us. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to contact us, you can at tableforfivepodcast at gmail.com. We have new episodes every Monday. Join us next Monday for our No Reservations episode. We'll see you then. Bye.